Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Now, I mentioned that this is Palm Sunday, and last year our message was really based on um, Palm Sunday and everything that happened, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And, and I know some of you are very well aware of that. Some of y'all are like, what are you talking about? Um, but this is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And so this whole week, of course, we have Good Friday that we celebrate on Friday that celebrates the death of Jesus on the cross. But this day, Palm Sunday... This is why, the reason why it's called Palm Sunday is that it's the day that Jesus entered into, the Messiah, our King, entered into Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And the people of Israel were laying down palm branches in their jackets on the road, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And that, those words, Hosanna, means save now, save now. They were saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. We believe that. Now come and rescue Israel. Come and rescue us. And of course he did, but he didn't do it in the way that they thought. And so we celebrate that today. And of course, Good Friday, many of you guys will be eating crawfish on that day and hang, hanging out with family and hopefully drinking Christian beverages with your crawfish. <laughs> and um, I didn't hear a whole lot of clapping in that one. <laughs> But, and we're going to celebrate Easter on, on Easter Sunday. So the reason why we're not talking about Palm Sunday in depth this morning is because we are finishing up a year-long series that we've been in on the book of Acts. Literally, we began this series the week after Easter last year in 2021. And here we are ending it today in on the Palm Sunday, the Sunday right before Easter. And so look at the person next to you and tell them, you made it. So let's get right into this. If you've missed any parts of this series, you can, of course, grab one of our QR cards that have the book of Acts written, written on it in, at our Welcome Center in the foyer, or you can take a picture of this graphic on the screen. You don't even have to take a picture, just open up your camera, and it will direct you to the link where you can listen to all of the messages. In case you've missed any of them, you can go back and listen to those and just get a good depth of understanding of this very important book in the Bible, the book of Acts. Now, Acts, as you remember, was really the second part of the writings of Luke. This man named Luke, who was a doctor, he was a physician, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke was really the part one of his telling of the story of Jesus. And if you will, one of the themes of the Gospel of Luke was from Galilee to Jerusalem, the kingdom of God from Galilee to Jerusalem. Jesus, of course, born in Nazareth and in the, the Galilean region, goes to Jerusalem where he's rejected and dies on the cross. And we see the gospel spreading all around as Jesus is going around and really not the gospel yet, but the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And he goes to Jerusalem, and that's really when the gospel begins, that message begins. And so really, the book of Acts is the part two, is the volume two of the same book, because it was also written by this man named Luke. And Luke, if the theme, if you will, of his second volume is from Jerusalem to Rome. Everybody say, from Jerusalem, Jerusalem. to Rome. Now, we left off last week with this man named Paul who kind of in the middle of this book has this drastic encounter with Jesus. How many of you remember your drastic encounter with Jesus? Where you're going on your way, doing things your way, and then all of a sudden he shows up and changes everything. What, that's the highest honor in our lives is when Jesus enters into our narrative, he enters into our story and drastically changes everything. 
And so for this man named Paul, we see how, again, this book has been, it started with Jesus and his disciples, and it goes on to the infilling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and it, and it talks about Peter and these other apostles spreading the message, and the gospel begins to go to the Gentiles, because it originated with these Jewish people. It was a Jewish thing, and, and, but God's plan the whole time was to get this thing to spread around the world. And all of a sudden, this figure named Paul enters the scene, and he has this encounter with God. And everything about his life changes. He goes from being the greatest persecutor of the church to perhaps the greatest spokesperson for the church in history. All because of this encounter with God. And I'll tell you this, I'll tell you, I've told you this before. Don't ever count someone out. Don't ever get to the place where you believe that person is too far gone for God. Because if God can take a man who initiated the persecution of the church and turns them into the apostle Paul, he can do that in any of our lives. In any of our lives. Now again, we ended with him on this ship because he had had this encounter with this angel while he's in, in the middle of this storm and this angel tells him, Paul, you're going to survive. You and, all, you and these 276 people on this boat are going to survive and you're going to make it to Rome because you have to preach the gospel to the people of Rome. Remember that vision you had with God when Jesus showed up again to you and he told you you were going to preach in, in Rome? You still have to fulfill that. So Paul is in the middle of this shipwreck and this storm. If you missed last week, again, go back and listen to it. But he's in the middle of this, this storm, excuse me, and everybody's freaking out and everybody's afraid. Now I want to go back to that verse 33 of the 27th chapter. This is what happens. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your head will perish. Pastor, what's happening here? Because the storm was so bad, and everything was so rocky where they were. The people stopped eating. They were so nervous and they were so afraid of dying in this, this storm. The, the boat, of course, was heading to Rome where Paul was scheduled, if you will, to go and preach the gospel to Rome. They didn't know that. They thought he was just going to stand before Caesar and make a defense of his case. So while they're there, they hit this storm. And everyone's so afraid that Paul has to step in and says, listen to me, I've had an encounter with an angel. How'd you like to have that conversation with someone? There's a hurricane coming. That's right, I was talking with Michael the archangel last night. That's essentially what happened, but, but Paul tells them everything's gonna be okay, and of course everything is okay. Now there's something that we touched on last week that I just wanna briefly touch on for a moment. This angel shows up and he tells Paul, everything's going to be okay. Everybody is going to be okay. Yet there's a moment in verse 31 and verse 32 where the sailors of this ship start getting in lifeboats and they're trying to get out of Dodge. They're like, we're not going to die with all these people. I don't care what this Paul guy says. We're getting out of here. And Paul tells the commanding officer, he says, listen. If those sailors leave, you will all die. Wait a minute. I thought the angel just said everyone was going to leave. What the scripture reveals to us, what the Bible reveals to us is that there is a divine tension that none of us will ever fully understand. And it's a divine tension between God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign will, and human responsibility. God made it very clear his plan was that every one of them were going to make it. They were going to get to Rome. Yet, if those sailors would have, got, would have disobeyed that and gotten in those lifeboats, then the rest of the people on that boat would have died. Pastor, I thought it was God's will. It was, but they still had a human responsibility to obey it. So we may not fully understand how all of these things flesh themselves out. I would encourage you with this. Stay simple. Obey God. Obey what he wants for your life. Stop overcomplicating things. Follow God's plan and God's will for your life. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep going. 
Verse 39, when morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudder, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to keep the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul. So he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. The storm led them to this place. The boat falls apart and they finally made it safely to shore. Now they don't know the island that they're on. They're getting ready to discover that. So now we turn the page and we go to Acts chapter 28, the final chapter of our book. After all of this chaos, they've been floating on driftwood in the ocean and they make it to this island called Malta. Verse one. Once we were safely on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, but they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Now let me pause right there for a minute. I love, it says, once we were safe on the shore. Who's the we? Paul, of course, is there, but the man writing this book, Luke, this physician, was right there by Paul's side throughout all of these most chaotic moments in his life. We all need people. And when you find your people, grab a hold of them. You're gonna go through rough patches with people. Go through it with them. Don't jump ship, stay with them. No pun intended, I didn't even plan that. (laughs) But stay with the people that God has called you to. This man, Luke, had to be with Paul while he was in prison because he knew that was God's plan for him. He went through this shipwreck, not of any fault of his own, but because he knew who God had joined him to. So I just love that. So you have Luke, you have Paul, and you have 274 other people on this island now called Malta. Now, Malta was a a Phoenician island. Island. It had its origins with the Phoenician people, and some people believe that Luke actually had a little play on words here because the word Malta means refuge, and it certainly was a place of refuge for them. So it talks about the hospitality of these people. Now, I want you to think about this. One thing I love about Cajuns, Cajun culture, is y'all are very hospitable. We love people, we love cooking for people. We love cooking gumbo for people. Hopefully you love cooking gumbo for your pastor. If you do, I will gladly accept your hospitality. But what's the rule? If there's an ounce of tomato in your gumbo, I'm sending you to Midtown campus. But these people are very hospitable and very generous and to the point where we're not talking about making a small fire and taking care of a few people. They took care of 276 people that they did not know. Man, that's a big gumbo. (laughs) So they take care of these people and they build this fire so that they they can help them. Can I just tell you, hospitality is something that God honors in Scripture. That is something that God really looks down upon and favors is when people are hospitable. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 when they were going around and they were talking about the good news of the kingdom, Jesus talks about and outlines for them the blessings of the people who who receive them as well as the curses of the people who don't receive them. The Bible even goes as far as to tell us as believers that some have entertained angels unaware. Hospitality is something that God very much honors. Even going back to Abraham, he told Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. 
Verse three, as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. Now, let me just tell you this about Paul for a minute. I love the apostle Paul and I love his humility because one minute he's seeing an angel and he's telling the ship what they need to do to survive. He's having these incredible encounters with God. He's praying for the sick. He's an apostle. And then the next minute, he's serving the people by picking up sticks and keeping the fire going. He was a man of humility. He was a servant. People of God, can I just tell you this? We're all servants. It doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter if what your degrees are behind your name. We are all servants. That's what God's called us to. And being a servant may require you to stand in front of Caesar and preach the gospel. And it may require you to gather sticks and, and keep a fire warming up people, prisoners. But we're still his servants no matter what. So keep that heart, keep that posture. Now, he's gathering these sticks and he's keeping this fire going and then all of a sudden, a snake jumps out and it bites Paul. And the Bible doesn't just say a snake, it says a poisonous snake. So while he's serving people, he gets bitten by church people. You'll catch that later. While he's serving, doing the right thing, he's bitten by this poisonous snake. And just like that, the people make accusations against him. Just like that, the people start believing something untrue about him because of the circumstances that he found himself in. You know, it's, it's funny how we often believe that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. When the truth is, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. It's called life. Jesus put it this way. He said that it will rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun will shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. We cannot judge the circumstances of our life based on the circumstances of our life. Paul was doing the right thing, clearly called by God, but he still had this moment. Now, when the Bible talks about justice, it says that the people thought that Paul was, justice would not allow him to not go unpunished. Your Bibles have justice written with a, a, a lowercase j. It really should have been used with a capital J because the people in that day, they, they had a, a deity, a false goddess that they believed in. It was a woman named Decay or Lady Justice. She was a daughter of Zeus. Now, they believed that this lady justice, this decay, would bring judgment on people. That even though Paul escaped from the, the shipwreck and he made it safely on board, that this was decay's version of justice. This was lady justice's way of saying, hey, you're going to die now. And as a matter of fact, there was a, a, an ancient writer by the name of Flaccus who had written a story very similar to this before this took place. In antiquity, in ancient history, it talks about this, this poem, that, not poem, but really the story that was written about a murderer who was in a shipwreck, who made it safely to an island only to be bitten by a snake and die because it was justice. That's what these people believed. Isn't it funny how we have our own messed up versions of justice in our mind? We have our own way of thinking. That's happening them because they deserve that. Can I remind you of something? There was one ultimate judge, and it's not you. It's not you. And in prayer one morning, I'll never forget this moment. I will never forget this moment. I was in prayer one day, and I really had this sense that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And he said, you know what? I'm a lot more merciful than you. It's like, God, you're right about that. My mercy is greater. 
My kindness is greater. You're right. But when I bring about judgment on someone, people often think that it's unfair. Like, oh, you're right about that. Why is that the case? Because you are created in my image. I'm not created in yours. God is the ultimate judge. When he is ready to bring judgment, he will bring judgment, whether we think it's fair or not. But more than often the case, God is being way more merciful and kind and patient with people than we are. So we see in this story that people automatically assume that Paul must have been just like that man in Flaccus' poem or his ancient writings. This guy's got to be a murderer and he's getting his just reward. He's getting his due right now. Now, ironically enough, when you go into an American courtroom, what do you see? You see Lady Justice. And that's actually, actually a derivative of this Roman goddess. That's why it's there. That's Lady Justice. That's where that even came from. Verse five. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up and suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, the people changed their minds and decided that he was a god. Isn't it how fickle people's opinions are? Let's go back to that. Let me get to that in a moment. This was actually Paul fulfilling a prophecy in the Bible. Because Jesus in Mark chapter 16, Jesus told his followers after he died, before he ascended, he said, this is what's going to come for those who follow me. They'll be bitten by serpents and they won't be harmed. Jesus actually said that this was going to happen. And so as a test run, I thought we'd bring out some snakes today and I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. Some of y'all, that's the very reason you sit in the back because as soon as that happens, you're like, I'm out. Can I just tell you, that's called, that's, let me get real theological. That's the Greek word for stupid. (laughs) We don't test or tempt God that way. We don't go get bit by a snake and go, God, I'm testing your word. That's called dumb. That's called dumb. Thank you. One person agreed. If you've ever been to a church like that, seriously, I am sorry. I mean, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. That is not biblical. That is not what we believe, okay? That's not what the Bible even teaches. If a situation like that happens, we trust, you know, that's that's not God's will, okay? Let's keep going. The amazing thing about this is that the people's opinion of Paul shifted and changed so quickly from a person who needed our hospitality to this guy must be a murderer to this guy must be a God. I'll simply sum it up by saying this. If you live for the approval and acceptance of people, you'll die when you don't have it. If you build your life around everyone thinking highly of you and speaking highly of you, and they're so amazing and they're so great, if that is the the foundation of your life, you will crumble when it's not there. The thing about the Apostle Paul that I love so much as we dive into his life and I study his life, he did not live for the acceptance or the approval of people. He lived for God's acceptance and God's approval. That's how we have to build our lives. We build our lives on God's acceptance. And I love the way that Galatians chapter one, this is what Paul said to the church in Galatians, verse 10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is saying, I can't live my life trying to please people and live my life trying to please God at the same time. The two can't coexist. Will there be moments when you serving God pleases people? Absolutely. But there will definitely be moments when you pleasing people does not please God. So you've got to set in your heart, I live for his pleasure. I live for the audience of one, for his acceptance. We don't preach the gospel because it gives us favor. 
We don't tell people about Jesus because it puts us in a good light in their eyes. We preach the gospel to people when it, it treats us, well, it gives us favor. We preach the gospel to people when they hate and despise us for it. Because our goal and our aim was never to please them. It's to honor and to please God. Verse seven, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the, the chief officer of the island. Now let me pause right there. Another way of putting it, he was the governor of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laying, laying his hands on him, he healed him. I just, again, I love the apostle Paul because it didn't matter the circumstance, it didn't matter where he was in life, wherever he went, the kingdom went with him. Didn't matter whether he was leading his church or whether he was a prisoner, he was bringing the kingdom with him. And here he is showing up shipwrecked on this island. He probably had every reason in the world to be questioning himself and questioning God's plan for his life, but he didn't do that. He brought the kingdom with him. And here he is with the very governor of this island praying for his dad. I love this man. He was always about the business of the kingdom. Church, we are called to always be about the business of the kingdom. It's not just relegated to the super apostle. It's relegated to us as disciples. Everywhere we go, church, we're called to bring the kingdom with us. What the world needs is the kingdom. It is not a politician. It is not a new reform. It is not a new policy and a procedure. And I believe all of those things are helpful. But at its core, what the world needs is the kingdom of God. That's what the world needs. So Paul prays for this man who has, he has dysentery. Another way of putting it is stuff was coming out fast. And uh, I remember going to the Dominican one time and I got super sick in the Dominican. It was probably a very similar type of disease, a, a something, some kind of, I don't even know. I'm not as smart as Jenna. She's a neurobiologist. But all right, so he had, had some kind of thing that caused this disease, this microbe in his body. And I remember being similar, sick to, in a similar way. And in three days, I lost about 12 pounds. That's how sick this man was. And Paul goes in and prays for him. And God heals him. And what do you expect happens after that? Verse 9 tells us, then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were, show, we were showered excuse me, with honor. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. So just like that, Paul shows up, a prisoner, he starts praying for the sick, bringing the kingdom, and now more and more people are coming and they're being healed, and the kingdom of God is spreading. Because everywhere he went, he prioritized God. Everywhere he went, he brought the kingdom. Now many people believe this, that right after Paul left, a church began there that the church of Malta began there, just from that one moment of Paul going with Luke and these prisoners on this island. And history tells us, as a matter of fact, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church both believe that this was the very first Christian nation in the West. Malta was. And they believe that the first pastor of that church was none other than Publius. This governing official gets saved, gets born again and becomes the bishop of this island, this church. He goes from being a governing official to leading the kingdom there, that island. Why would this happen? Because Paul was what we began talking about in the book of Acts. Paul was a witness. And that word witness again is the word martus, which we get the word martyr from. He laid his life down long before he had to lay his life down. He recognized, I belong to Jesus. I am Jesus' servant. So therefore, everywhere I go, I'm gonna make his name great. And because of that, God blessed these places. God spread the kingdom and great churches were birthed and built because this man had a singular focus. Everywhere I go, 
build the kingdom. Verse 11. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another island that had wintered at the island. An Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Now again, this is what they shipwrecked before. It was a, a ship from Egypt, from Alexandria, carrying grain. So they get on another one of those, now headed for Rome. And the Bible, just a quick little fact, the Bible says that they were twin gods, right, on, as figureheads. Now, the twin gods that they're talking about was Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux were, again, thought of as sons of Zeus, And the sailors of that day, they thought that that was kind of like their protection. That was their idol that they would set up as a protection. Now, I know this is going to cross some of you the wrong way, but it needs to be said. This is what some of us do today. Well, Pastor, I don't do that. We do when we put angels and statues of Mary in front of our house and we act like that's going to somehow protect us. You're not protected by statues. You're protected by the angels of the Lord. Okay, that's, that's important. I'm not saying that to bash. I'm not saying that to offend, but is the truth. Don't put your trust in a statue you put in your front yard. You put your trust in the Lord. This is what Psalm says. Psalm says, the angel of the Lord is encamped around those who fear him. And if you fear God, you need not fear anything else. That's how that works. If I fear God, God takes care of all of the other things that I fear. The opposite is true as well. When I don't fear God, I have to fear everything else because it means it's under my control. I have to take care of it. I have to tend to it. Fear the Lord. That's where our our protection comes from. Verse 12, our first stop was Syracuse where we stayed for three days. From there, we sailed across Terigium. A day later, a south wind began blowing. So the following day, we sailed up to the coast of Puteoli. Puteoli. Now, Syracuse is the east of of what we would call Sicily today. Um, Regium was the tip of the boot on the island of Italy, if any of you have ever seen that map. Now, what I thought was really, really cool, really interesting, Acts chapter 2 begins with a great wind coming. And the, the wind of God, the Holy Spirit blows in and empowers the people of God to go. And the book of Acts ends with this great wind blowing Paul to Rome. I just thought that was something. There's so many nuances like that in the Bible. What am I saying? Trust God wherever he blows you. The wind is already in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. So wherever he takes you, let him take you. Follow his guidance. But wherever you're at, trust him and build the kingdom. That's where we go. That's what we do. Sometimes it's fun. It's exciting. It's fruitful. Life makes sense. Other times, we're in a storm. Other times, things are hard. Other times, God's shaving things out of our life, and it hurts, and it's hard. Other times, we're watching people around us go through tough circumstances. But no matter what, don't give up. Trust him and follow him and keep going. This is the example we see of in the Apostle Paul's life. Verse 14, there we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. He finally gets there. This has been his mission. This has been his goal. This has been the thing God told him and an angel told him. And he's had this drive to get there. And just like that, it happens. Just like that, it happens. And I love the Apostle Paul because immediately he goes to work. He doesn't take a month-long vacation. He goes to work. Verse 15, the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming and they came to meet us at the forum of the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, we, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by soldiers. So again, Paul wasn't put in prison. I want you to get the picture of this because I want you to see this clearly before we wrap this up. Paul wasn't put in prison. He was given his own home. Now, he was chained to 
Roman guards, and they were actually called Praetorians. They were palace guards, guards from the actual household of Caesar, the palace of Caesar. And so he's chained to these men, but nonetheless, he has his own place. And so they're, they're able, there are people who are able to come and visit him and hear him. And he recognizes that and he goes to work. Now we're going to come back to those prisoners. That's very important. Now there were Christians at that time already in Rome. How do we know that? Because the Bible just said that some of them came to visit him. And we also know that his friends, his companions that we've talked about, I know some of y'all are like, I don't remember some of this. Go back and listen to it. It's all, it, it all comes together. But Paul's great friends, Priscilla and Aquila, actually came from Rome. They were part of the church in Rome. That's when Paul first met them. They had just gotten kicked out of Rome. Verse 17, three days after Paul's arrival, he came, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. This man has been in a shipwreck. He's been on an island. He's been in jail at this point for at least two years. And he finally gets to Rome, and within three days, he calls the Jews to them. The same people who had him imprisoned, the same race of people who had him in prison, and he preaches the gospel to them. He recognized what he was alive for. Have you ever found yourself going, man, I, life just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't feel like I have a purpose. Listen to me. For every child of God in this room, you have a divine purpose. A divine purpose. But some of us feel that way because we've never allowed ourselves to walk in that divine purpose. We've never allowed ourselves to go there with our lives. We keep trying to figure out how to life, how to do life our way. How to God, please bless my plan. But when you follow God's plan for your life, life just makes sense. And I'm not talking about you being called to a ministry position because there are some people in ministry who don't do half the ministry of people who aren't in ministry in this church. I'm talking about doing what God has called you to do. Follow that because that's when life makes sense. It's like getting that, it's like getting that appliance that men, we refuse to read the manual for. Thank God for YouTube because we can find out how it really works without embarrassing ourselves and reading the manual. But it's like reading the manual and discovering, oh, this is how that works. That's what this book is. That's what the voice of the Holy Spirit is. It will tell you why you are really here. It will tell you what your purpose really is. So after three days, Paul goes to work because he knows his purpose and he follows his, his typical pattern when he goes to a new place. He preaches first to the Jewish people, his people, and whether or not they accept or deny it, he moves on to the Gentiles. And another pattern that I've seen in scripture, then he goes to the leaders of the Gentile world. He goes to the governing leaders and he preaches the gospel to them. Verse 18, the Romans, he's making his defense, if you will, to these Jewish leaders. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. This is Paul saying, listen, I'm not here to get y'all in trouble. I'm not here for that but I am here to preach the gospel. I am here to preach about the kingdom. Verse 20, I ask you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the same hope that we shared, the Jews and the, and the Christians, we all shared this, a hope of a Messiah coming to rescue us, to save us. Again, we talk about Palm Sunday when they were yelling, Hosanna, what they were saying is, we believe you're the Messiah, save us now. That's what Hosanna means, save us now. And he did, he just didn't do it the way they thought he would. And oftentimes, God does that in our lives, where he does save us, he does rescue us, 
But he doesn't always do it the way we think he was going to. God is not bound to follow our plan because he knows his is better. And that was the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jewish religion and the Christian faith. They're still waiting for the Messiah where we know he's already come. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to them. He says, I believe the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. Verse 21. They reply, we have no letter from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it's denounced everywhere. In other words, we didn't hear anything from those people in Jerusalem. All we know is y'all aren't spoken of very highly. Y'all are part of that church. We don't know a whole lot about y'all, so we're willing to hear you out, but we haven't been tainted by them yet. Verse 23. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. Listen to this. Here's the moment. It culminates once again with this. The Holy Spirit was right. This is what Paul tells them. He's just preached to them. He's just showed them in the same Old Testament that we all agree with about Jesus and the prophecies about him. And when they don't receive it, he says this, the Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to these people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Verse 28, this is one of the saddest moments in the New Testament, is for sure, in this book. And so I want you to know that this salvation from God has been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. In other words, Paul says, the blood's no longer on my hands. I preach the gospel to you I gave you the truth. What you do with it is up to you. Can I just tell you, that's something that we all need to know. Our responsibility is to bring the gospel to people. Our responsibility is to tell people about Jesus. What they do with it is not our responsibility. We don't save people. We don't save people. That should take a weight and a pressure off of you. We don't save people, but we do have to do our part. And our part is to tell them the truth. Our part is to tell them about Jesus, about our King, about our Messiah. That is the responsibility of every disciple of Jesus Christ, to spread his kingdom. What people do with it is up to them. Now, why this is so sad is here's the Jewish people, descendants of the Israelites, The chosen people of God. Jesus came as a Jewish man, came through their lineage. They were the ones given the promise. They were the children, the seed of Abraham, and all came through them. And in this moment, God's chosen people, for the last time we see in this book, in the book of Acts, God's chosen people don't choose him. They reject him. Now, I've mentioned this before, but they held on to, they were a part of what was called temple Judaism, which meant that every, their, their worlds, no matter where they were in the world, their world revolved around this place called the temple in Jerusalem. That's why to the Jewish person, the most important city in the world was Jerusalem. To the Gentile person at that time, the most important city in the world was Rome. That's why we see the gospel going from Jerusalem to Rome. Now in Jerusalem, Shortly after this, in 70 AD, we see that temple destroyed by the Romans. 
and the city of Jerusalem ransacked and destroyed. So the very thing that they were holding on to and they were choosing this temple over Jesus in that year in 70 AD, what they put their trust in was absolutely destroyed. Absolutely demolished, never to be rebuilt again. Yet the kingdom of God still stands. And Jesus still stands. And his gospel and his kingdom has continued to spread throughout the world. Church, what do you put your trust in? Is your trust in Jesus, our king, and his kingdom? Or is your trust in something temporal that may or may not be here in 100 years? It may or may not be here in 50 years. Put your trust in what's eternal. Now, this may seem like, and I'm closing soon, this may seem like this was the worst thing that could have happened to Paul because now he's in chains. But Paul was not unfruitful because while he was in Rome, in these chains, he happened to write four little books that we're still reading today. The book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, and the book of Philippians. He was not unfruitful. His words are still read today, 2,000 years later. God used him where he was. Wherever he went, he brought the kingdom. Wherever he went. And as a matter of fact, something in Philippians chapter four is very important that I want you to see. Remember, I told you that he was chained to these, these prison guards, right? These palace guards called Praetorians. And these were people in the very household or palace of Caesar. Can you imagine being chained to the apostle Paul for six hours a day? (laughs) That was their job. They were literally, they had to be in his house chained to him for six hours a day and then they would rotate. He was always in this chain. So when he was sleeping, chained to a prisoner. When he's preaching, chained to a prisoner. When he's using the bathroom, Can you imagine what those guards saw? If this man had angels showing up to him, if this man had Jesus showing up to him, can you imagine what they heard? And I love this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter four, just to give us a little bit of insight into what happened while he was in these chains, or this chain rather, for two years. Philippians 4, 21. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Jesus Christ. The bro- this is why he's in Rome, remember this. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. So perhaps the guards that were in Caesar's household got saved and got born again and became brothers. Perhaps their witness and their testimony spread maybe even into the family members of this very evil and wicked emperor named Nero. And the gospel got even into the very household of Caesar. Paul was not unfruitful. Everywhere he went, the kingdom went with him. To the point where, again, the theme of one of the main themes of this book is from Jerusalem to Rome. Around 300 years later, Rome issued an edict that persecution would end against the Christians. Because up until that moment, there was waves of persecution that would come killing Christians. And I told you some about that last week and some of the vicious things that would happen to those people who bore the name of Jesus. And not only did it end, but about 10 years later, Christianity became the official religion of Rome. And the gospel and the message of Jesus spread, continued to spread all throughout the world. And it was official at this moment. From a small group of people in Galilee to Jerusalem to Rome to the ends of the earth. What you just heard is the story of the church. 
Now we come to the grand finale, the last verses of this book. Are you ready for this grand ending? This is what it says. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. The end. Now, before I close, I want you to see something. Some of you are going, that's it? That's it, like no fireworks, like no angels, like no nothing cool, like for those of you who are old school charismatics, no gold dust, like no, no nothing. If it seems kind of anticlimactic, I think Luke did that on purpose. Because the truth is, that's not really the ending. Because we still have a part of this story to play. It's not over until Jesus comes back. The book of Acts is still being written. And you're a part of that story. And it's on us to continue to bring the gospel, not only from Galilee to Jerusalem, to Rome, to Koto, to Catahoula, to St. Martinville, to New Iberia, to Brobridge, to Broussard, to Cypress Island. The story is still being written and you're a part of it. Let it be said of us the same thing that was said of the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, everywhere she went, they brought the kingdom. They preached the gospel. Let it be said of us. Let that be said of us. The story is still being written. Everywhere you go, you represent him. Everywhere you go, his spirit, the same spirit that blew into them in Acts chapter 2 is inside of you. And the story is still being written. Now, as far as Paul goes, I don't want you to be sad by Paul's ending. But Paul dies in Rome. And he was executed. He was executed under the same Caesar that he stood before, Nero. This is the same emperor who killed the apostle Peter. History tells us that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified right side up in honor and respect for Jesus. But Paul was not crucified because he was a Roman citizen. They couldn't crucify him. They did that for those who weren't Roman citizens. So instead, history tells us that Paul was beheaded. And I want you to get just for a moment. That's not something that Paul was sad about. And he tells us about that. He tells us about his perspective in Philippians chapter one. I'm almost done. Verse 20. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life, he's writing this while he's in chains in Rome, that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or I die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I am torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. And then in the last book that he writes, and again, I'm closing, I keep saying that. In the last book that he writes, 2 Timothy, to his protege, his disciple, his son in the Lord, he writes this, chapter four. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul was in this prison thinking about his king. He's escorted, and that prison is still there in Rome today. He's escorted out of that prison. He walks across a courtyard. And in an instant, he sees his Jesus. In an instant, he receives the crown that's been laid up for him, the reward. Church, I hope and I pray this for myself and for you that that's what our ending is. That's what I desire for us. That in the end, we're not thinking about our money. We're not thinking about our accomplishments. We're thinking about hearing from him, well done. You finished well. And as I close, I close with this one last scripture where I began in Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, Jesus's witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Father, what an incredible book you've given us the privilege to unpack and to see and to read and to be impacted by. My prayer, God, for each and every person in this room, each and every follower of you is that we would be able to say like Paul at the end of our life, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Not just I endured, I held on in the sweet by and by, but I finished what you called me to. I put my hands to the work you gave me. And now I'm receiving the crown that's been laid up for me. God, that's my desire. I just want to finish well. We don't want, we don't need the accolades. We don't need our name and lights. We don't need our Instagram followers. We don't need any of that garbage. We need to hear from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I pray that's the mission of every person in this room. Give us that grace. Give us that boldness. Give us that courage. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to even this week preach the gospel with boldness. To every situation we go and bring the kingdom with us. And lastly, we thank you for our pray for a lasting impact to be made in our lives from this book and from these words. Now with your eyes closed and your heads bowed and no one looking around. Maybe as I talk about this kingdom, this gospel, I wanna give you the opportunity today to respond to this because you might be here today and you've never been born again. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to bring you into his kingdom. But you've got to surrender. You've got to make him Lord. We say it like this here at our our Savior's Church. It's as easy a decision. That moment is as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. You're honest, I sin in my life and I'm far away from him. And B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on that cross for the sins in your life. And C, you confess that he is now Lord of your life. That he rose again from the dead. He defeated death. And you are now making him your king. So with no one looking around, if that's you and you say, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, turning from my sin and following him. With no one looking around on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand. I want to acknowledge who I'm going to pray with because all of us in a moment are going to pray this prayer out loud and Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. You say, that's me. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. I see yours back there. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. 
Praise God. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer with all those who are praying to be born again today. Let's say these words out loud. It's not these words that save you, but it's the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that's going to save you in this moment. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior. And Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet and let's thank God for every person that prayed that prayer to be born again today. Come on, let's welcome them to the family of God. Come on, we can do better.